Welcome everyone to another episode of Elbows Tight Podcast. It's your host, Travis and John. John, how was that interview today, man? I really enjoyed the interview. I actually probably could have just talked a bunch of um, active shooter stuff for a couple hours. Yeah. But, you know, we probably didn't want to do that. Yeah. Today we have a self-defense and knife concept uh, guy. I don't really want to say guy, but guru, I guess you could say. (laughs) Uh, Aaron Gennetti. He is in Ohio and uh, he is a brown belt. And it's a great conversation. It's it's we talk a lot about law enforcement, why they should train. We talk a lot about self defense. We talk a lot about your journey in jujitsu when you first start, and kind of tips and how you should approach it. Uh, what else we talk about, John? Well, I think like um, some of the same things you probably talk to your friends about. You know, everyone watches the news now, and you're like, "Hey, man, what do you think we could do with this work? With this work?" I was yeah. like, "We got a guy on here. Like, this is his full time job. Let yep. me just ask him these questions." Yep. So, yeah, we talk about uh, the Duval school shooting and how things could have made it maybe done different. So if that's a, a trigger warning to you, then, uh, I mean, you could always just fast forward it through that section. But it's it's a great conversation, right? This guy trains constantly in self-defense and teaches other people and law enforcement how to defend themselves better in uh, active shooter situations, just self-defense and things like that, too. So it's a it's a really, really good conversation. I had a blast talking to him. But we had a little bit of technical difficulties. So you'll see a uh, sound change. You'll see a scenery change. You'll. I swear it was dark for a little bit, and then it was daytime. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, it's it was crazy. I felt bad for him because he was like talking, and then all of a sudden it was just like cut out. And we're like, uh, Aaron, are you there? And it was probably a good. You guys ever have one of those situations where you're like FaceTiming someone or Zoom chatting with someone, or even talking to them on the phone? And you're like, hello, and they're like, can you hear me? And they're like, can I hear you? Like that, that Tinder app you're always talking <laughs> <Yeah>. about. <laughs> Yeah. yeah so it's like that uh but it's a great conversation so hope you guys enjoy it but uh everything's gonna be down in the description below if you guys want to check out aaron and uh go listen to what he has to say and see his cool videos and self-defense and whatnot so uh john we got anything else nope that's it sorry i sound in i sound nasally it's because the allergies this year are kicking my butt john john's gonna be like allergies yeah that's <laughs> So you guys have a great time listening to the and uh, watching it and uh, we'll catch you later. Peace. Support for Elbows Tight is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below the waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision engineer tools for your family jewels. Manscaped recently launched the Ultimate Men's Hygiene Bundle, the performance package. Join over 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. 20% 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code ETP20 at manscaped.com. If my math is correct, that's about 8 million balls. That's a lot of balls, Johnny. <laughs> <laughs> when Manscaped reached out to work with us, I instantly thought, yes, what a deal. I've been using Manscaped products for a while now. And when they mentioned helping out with the podcast, I, I thought it was a no-brainer. I have the Lawnmower 4.0 now, but I had the Lawnmower 3.0 and absolutely loved it. Also, most people think about Manscaped as tr- just trimmers, but really they have ball deodorant, ball toner, the weed whacker, which is your favorite thing, right, John? Yeah, I love the weed whacker. Look, I'm about to hit like 45 years old, so I got hair growing out of everywhere now. So it's coming out my ears. I'm like, man, where is that weed whacker? It's definitely my favorite. <laughs> Get 20% off and free shipping with the code ETP20 at Manscaped. That's 20% off with free shipping at Manscaped.com and use code ETP20. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools to get the job done with Manscaped. So how are you doing today there, Aaron? Uh, I'm doing great. I just got out of a, I had a competition this morning, Grappling Industries here in Ohio. I had a super fight last night. Got choked out in both of them. <laughs> but uh, I'm great. I'm healthy. I'm, I'm having fun and I get to chat with you guys. So I'm doing wonderful. Yeah, that's that's awesome. I, I We were talking, what, earlier this week, trying to figure out when we could uh, sit down and have a conversation. You're like, well, I have a competition this day. And then the competition next morning, I was like, oh my gosh, man, like that's, that's, a, that's a lot. <laughs> But the nice thing about being brown yeah, belt, right, is your your stuff starts early in the morning, right? Yeah. So like you just you literally just left there right now, usually. right? Yeah, usually, uh, and especially like grappling industries because um, they do a lot of comps around here. And absolutes like shotgun start at nine a.m. So I'll sign up for absolute all the time, and 
walk on the mats at 9 a.m., get my first couple matches in for the day, and then, then do everything else after that. So it's a nice thing. So what do you do after competition? Do you just, like, go about your day? Like, you just, like, fought a bunch of people, and now you're like, all right, well, I got I to gotta go to a uh, grocery outlet and buy some meat. <laughs> right. <laughs> Pretty much. I, you know, I tell people, I, I, competition to me is uh, it's fun. Um, I don't, you know, I, I do a really good job. I don't tie my identity to wins and losses and, and success and that type stuff. It's, it's another training day. It's an opportunity to touch up with people that, uh, you probably don't get a chance to touch up with. You see what's working, what's not working, and then go back to the drawing board. So for me, it's fun. I, you know, I got my match in, I watched a buddy of mine roll his first match. Uh, and now I'm sitting outside of a coffee shop talking to y'all. I'll leave here. I'll go home, hang out with my, my kids, my wife, my mom. Another glorious Sunday, man. <laughs> you do any special build-up to these or just normal every day and just walk in and, and hit it? Yeah, uh, you know, most people would probably say I'm not a super serious competitor because I, I, I just, again, like, I really do. I treat it like another training day. So I, I make sure I don't get injured leading up to it. Um, but, I mean, I trained all week like normal. I didn't take any days off or do, like, any tapering or anything like that. Um, I don't. I don't cut weight, uh, anything along those lines. So if like, if the weight classes are 170 and 185 and I'm like 173, I'm probably just going to roll 185 because I'm right. too lazy to cut three pounds. Uh, <laughs> so I like, I t- you know, when I, when I was in my twenties, if I would have got into this in my twenties, I, I probably would be a little more aggressive and assertive about it, but I'm 36. You know, I, I enjoy training. I have two kids. I have an awesome wife. Like I'm not going to be the next Gordon Ryan. Like I'm just having fun. So right, you know, I, I show up. I have my good time. I keep training, and uh, yeah, again, like like I said, to me, it's it's another training day, and it's fun. You get to like, especially like local comps, you get a chance to kind of like connect with people. Like I rolled uh, with a dude two weeks ago in Toledo that I rolled with like two years ago. We hadn't seen each oh, other wow. in two years. The last wow. time we saw each other was on the mat. So it's like, oh man, like how have you been? Like oh shit, like the last time we rolled, you know. You were a purple belt. I just got my breath. You know, it's just like, it's fun to connect. So competition to me is it's a good time. It's a lot of fun. So yeah, I don't, I, uh, I just I have different metrics for success, I guess, when it comes to competition, and that bothers some people. <laughs> no, that, what's so funny about that is our professor. He literally told us the same thing in class one night. He yeah, was like, yeah. "Look, none of you are going to be the next world champ. You know, you're never going to. No, no one in here is yeah. going to win a world title." He's like, it just, let's be honest. He's like, we all have day jobs and 401ks to worry about. Like, and that's okay. He's right. like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. And so that kind of like really just changed yeah. my whole perspective on my journey through jujitsu. And I was thinking to my head, like, I got to compete. I got to compete. And he basically was just like, look, just do it for fun. Like, if you want to do it for fun, just freaking do it for fun. Yeah. You know? So it's really lightened up. You know, it was like a little bit of a weight off my shoulder when he said that. I was like, well, that's my black belt saying that. So I guess it's true. Yeah, what really what happened? Yeah, Travis's true. face was falling when he was saying it. He's like, "You'll never be a champion." I could see him just getting sad. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, what do you mean? You're so mean. He might get Matt Enforcer, but uh, you know, that's going to be as high as it gets. <laughs> Matt Enfor- hey, Matt Enforcer is like pretty much the world champion of a. That's gym. right. That's right. Yep. So, like, just look at it that yep. way. Yeah. You know what I, mean? I am the best inside of this 1800. <laughs> <laughs> You know what? You you may act tough, but wait until I get on the mat. Then we'll see who's really there. No, yeah, right. I'm, I'd be the I'd be the worst mat enforcer in in, in jujitsu, bro. I'm like way too nice. I'm like, hey man, how's it going? Yeah. <laughs> but those could be the most deceitful ones, right? Like the guy that's like super nice to you, and then that's he true. just absolutely wrecks you, flips like, it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, what's the what's mm. the competition scene like in, up in absolutely, Ohio? Is yeah. it do you guys have like a lot of competitions in that area? Do you travel for them or? Is it like when one's close by, you just do it? Yeah, um, Columbus. So, like, we're in central Ohio, um, and Columbus has a pretty solid fight team, like fight scene in general. A um, couple of really decent MMA gyms, a lot of BJJ gyms, um, you know, decent amount of self-defense facilities as well. So Columbus will attract, routinely, we'll have grappling industries, I'd say three, maybe four times a year. Um Fuji runs a competition, and that's in Columbus. Uh, Fuji runs a competition two or three times a year. Um, Naga's in town in two weeks. 
Um, we have the Arnold Classic every year. Grappling Industries is part of that, so oh, like wow. that draws in a, a very large, a very large crowd. And then they usually have a really good seminar. A couple years ago, it was Gordon. Um, last year, um, uh, who the hell was it? it? Was one of the Gracies? Uh, but it's so that draws a big crowd. Um, and then like between Cincinnati, which is about an hour and a half away, and Cleveland, two hours away, and then Dion Thompson, who we're under runs a competition once or twice a year in Toledo, which is two hours away. I mean, within driving distance, you could hit one to two competitions almost every single month. Oh, wow. Um, so there's a lot of good, yeah, there's a lot of good competition in Ohio um, in general. And then Central Ohio is nice, again, like in Columbus, because, you know, we're like two hours from Indiana, uh, you know, two and a half hours from Michigan. We're only six hours from Chicago. So, like, IBJJF Chicago is coming up. So, we got a lot, a lot of stuff within driving distance, which is really nice. Yeah, it's it's funny when you hear about these other places because Seattle, we live in like the other side of Seattle. There's the Puget Sound, the larger body of water next to Seattle, and over in Seattle in the greater yeah. Seattle area, that's the same thing. Like, there's competitions just about every freaking weekend if you want to do one, and so. I'm like, man, yeah. I can't, I can't make an excuse of there's not a competition coming up because there's like one every every <laughs> week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, what's your yeah, like favorite? Like, why aren't you or- competing? Uh, it's a choice, <laughs> right? What's like your favorite organization to compete under? It, would you prefer Naga, IBJJF, or IBJJF, or what? What's your favorite one that you ever competed under? Uh, honestly, Grappling Industries uh, right. is my favorite. Um, they they run a they run a solid comp. It usually runs on time or ahead of schedule for the most part. I mean, I've had a couple that are pretty bad. They use smooth comp, which is nice because you can track your things. You know when you're going on your next ones. Yeah. Um, but their rule their rule set is very open. So like at even blue belt in gi, you can do like knee bars, toe holds, oh, things along that. those lines. So like. Yeah, and so like that's super cool to me. That's exciting because um, I I, I, underst- I understand the uh, you know the ideology around you know maybe don't introduce leg locks until later on and some things like that. But like if you really want to test that and you want to understand, especially in a gi like top to bottom, how to work the whole body, you know you should be combating that stuff early on. So if I remember correctly, they go uh, blue belt and purple belt is allowed to do I think knee bars and toe holds. And then I think even when you get up into brown belt, I think you're allowed to reap in the gi. Like, there's a couple of other things. You're not allowed to heel hook, but so it's pretty it's pretty wide open uh, rule set, which I really enjoy. I mean, I'm brown belt now, for, so for the most part, it's not really a big deal. Um, and then in no gi, I mean, you know, absolute, their advanced no gi is just the Wild West. You can do whatever the <laughs> hell you want. You can backflip, flying, scissor, take down, and, you know, choke people with your fist. <laughs> like, all you want. It's uh, so... So I, I like that. You know what you're getting into? It runs It runs smooth. They do a pretty good draw. Today was a little bit of a smaller one, um, but they do a good draw. They run on time, and you know, like I said, it's a wide-open rule set, so it's a lot of fun. That's awesome because we have a lot of grappling industries up here, and I didn't know that you could do knee bars, and one of my favorite moves I do right now is a knee bar from my half guard, right? Roll over, take the opposite leg in the knee bar, and if I could hit that in competition, yeah. I feel like that would be a great way to maybe earn a gold medal. Like I'm going to have to look into grapple industries, man. <laughs> do you compete in anything else or uh, just uh, jiu-jitsu? Uh, lately, like, yeah, just jiu-jitsu now. Uh, I've done, I've dabbled in a little bit of everything. Um, took an MMA fight in, like, 2009 uh, when I was a little bit younger. I've competed in Olympic weightlifting. Um, I've competed in powerlifting. I've competed in CrossFit. Um, uh, I've competed in like Kali, like live stick fighting. So I, I've done a lot of different competitions over the years. Uh, I figure at 36, again, with like two kids and a business and a brand getting hit in the heads, probably right. That's past, you know, I, (laughs) I do light sparring at the gym, uh, but I don't need to get my head knocked around to, to collect a, you know, $4 gold medal. Uh, <laughs> True. So, yeah, so I, pri- I, pri- I primarily stick to jujitsu and, and just uh, try not to land on my neck. You know, that's like the, right. <laughs> the basic protocol. So let's, let's go all the way back to how you got into jujitsu. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, well, actually, I don't even think we sure. did an introduction. Like, let's go ahead it, for the people at home that have been listening to this for 10, 15 minutes. Who are you? How'd you get into jujitsu and everything like that? So, I swear we just didn't meet him outside the coffee the shop. <laughs> yeah, right. Who the hell is this guy? 
Um, yeah, so uh, so my name is Aaron Gennetti. Uh, I run a training center in Columbus, Ohio, so Central Ohio. Um, I, I'm primarily known as a self-defense guy, or at least I used to be. People started recently, like with knife control concepts, which I know we'll talk about later. But all of a sudden, I'm like a I'm like the jujitsu grappling wrestling guy, and I was like, that's hilarious because I started on in the self-defense side. But um, yeah, so I run a training center. Uh, we do jujitsu. Uh, we do a program called Hybrid Self Defense. Uh, we have kickboxing. We have boxing classes, uh, strength conditioning, the whole entire nine there. Uh, I run a program called Knife Control Concepts with uh, Eli Knight, who I'm sure a lot of people listening to this know. And then my coach, my black belt, uh, Mike Cheney. Uh, and we actually travel around, teach people to deal with the, the dynamic situations around a blade, which sucks. Um, I got two kids. Uh, I got a, an amazing wife. I, you know, run a couple of businesses and I get to travel around to multiple states and train and meet new people and teach new people and have fun. So, I mean, that's the, that's the thousand yard view. So I, I'm a firearms instructor, self-defense instructor, uh, grappling instructor, strength conditioning coach. Um, I love people. I love teaching. So that's, that's what I do. So how'd you get into jujitsu in this whole space? Yeah, uh, so I found Krav Maga originally uh, in 2008. So I'll, I'll always remember February 6, 2008 was the day that I walked into a place called Ohio Krav Maga. Um, I was a broke kid. I say kid. I was like 21. But uh, I was broke. I was paying my way through college. Couldn't go to school that mo- that quarter because um, I couldn't afford it. Just like just in a real terrible spot. Um, so I happened to see a commercial for a place called Ohio Krav Maga and I figured, Hey, I should probably go punch people legally before I start going around punching people (laughs) illegally. Um, so yeah, so I, I walked in, I started taking Krav Maga and what was really cool about Mark Slane, who was the owner there is that he realized the importance of branching out into other arts. So it was a Krav Maga gym, but he brought in, you know, Jason Lai was my first kickboxing coach. So he brought in a kickboxing instructor to teach kickboxing to his students. Um, and then Chad Meeks uh, was our jujitsu instructor. So he had Chad Meeks, um, who was under the Dave Meyer system at the time. So this is like 2008, um, was teaching BJJ and things like that. So I came for Krav Maga, but I ended up falling in love with kickboxing and really falling in love with jujitsu and grappling arts and things like that. So that's how I was introduced to it. Um, and then since then... You know, uh, unfortunately, like I imagine a lot of people, you know, gyms split and politics and people fissure off into 20 other different gyms. So I went from them um, to Arthur Ruff for a while, was teaching here in Columbus. So I was with Arthur Ruff. I got my blue belt from him. He's up here now. Uh, We just had a seminar with him. Yeah. Yeah. Arthur is, Arthur is, is, uh, he's a, first off, he's a funny son of a bitch. Uh, but when I was training with Arthur, Arthur was an ultra heavy and he is no longer an ultra heavy, or at least the last time I saw him, man, he had slimmed down quite a bit. Yeah. That man's a big uh, dude though. So yeah. So, <laughs> oh yeah. He's a tank. He's a tank. I remember the, my first, my first exposure to like a black belt was Arthur. And at the time I think he was a secondary black belt. Um, and, uh, he, like one of the roles something had happened and you know I'm a spazzy white belt at the time so of course I like kind of I kind of like elbow knocked him in the head or something like that and I just remember like he's on his back and you know here comes the the bad Portuguese interpretation right but he's on his back and he's like he takes his hands away and he's rubbing his head and he's like oh geez man you know and he's like flipping and he's still he's still sweeping me like he's sweeping me and controlling me with his legs while he's going, oh, you know, oh, man, watch your elbows, you know, like doing that. And I'm just like, oh, man. So that's what a black belt is. Like, okay, that's a whole other realm of fighting people. Um, but, yeah, so we went from rough uh, to Kaiki. And then I was under Justin Kennedy for a while. And that's how we came to Dion Thompson. And now uh, my coach, Mike Cheney, who's a black belt under Dion Thompson, who's under Brasa, which is Caprito. Um, that's where we're at. So that's my jiu-jitsu journey, the long story. So... What is your favorite martial art that you've 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 studied so far? Ooh. Like, is it jujitsu, Krav Maga, or what? I mean, it's got to be probably someone in those more self defense ones since you kind of built a brand around it, right? Um, yeah, I. But here's the thing, like, man, 
like when you talk about self-defense, self-defense is an interesting thing because it's like the idea of self-defense is like do whatever the hell you need to do to protect yourself. Like that's what self-defense is. So it's, you can't really pin it to one art. I, I, I'm think that's why I love it so much. Um, at least the deeper I've gotten into it because, you know, like BJJ will run around and say they're the best self-defense program and Krav Maga will run around and say they're the best self-defense program. And then some dude doing magical, I don't even touch people's bodies techniques on internet will run around and say they're the best self-defense program. But it's all horse shit because there's no, like, that's not a thing. Like BJJ has elements that are very good for defending yourself and boxing has elements that are very good for defending yourself and Kali has elements that are very good for defending themselves. But like all of the other arts, because they're so like minutely focused on like one thing, they don't, they're not actually self-defense because realistically self-defense is like, don't go stupid place with stupid people to do stupid things. Right. You know, like if you, you know, uh, what's the different context between how you would fight if you're out on your own versus how you would fight when you're out with your, you know, again, like in my case with my two kids and my wife, like those are two completely different contexts. And like jujitsu doesn't have an answer for that. Kramaga has some answers for it, but not really. So it's a, it's a tough question because I, I like the, I like exploring the element of fighting, like psychologically and physically. Um, so it's a tough one. If I had to pin it down, to be completely honest, man, I would say that I, I should have been a wrestler and I didn't discover wrestling until I was 24. Um, but man, I love wrestling. Like, I, uh, And I don't know if I love wrestling from the... Because I honestly don't even know the rules of wrestling. I just know that you want to be on top and you want to smash people into the floor. And that's like kind of, that's like, that's where my brain goes with a lot of this stuff. So I was supposed to be a wrestler, but you know, I was, uh, when the wrestling coach when in high school was like, Hey man, like you should get into wrestling. You're built for it. And I was like, nah, that's stupid. <laughs> and then I hit 24 and was like, man, I really wish I would have wrestled. <laughs> so yeah, if I had to pick one, I would say, I'd say wrestling, but, uh, if I'm being honest, man, I just, I love, man, I love, like, I love doing, like Kali, for instance, Kali is, you know, and again, this isn't to bug anybody in any way, shape or form, but yeah, 80% of Kali is impractical for self-defense. Uh, however, it's, I love the art form. Like I like, I like learning. I like experiencing new things. Um, I even like like traditional, like Eastern martial arts, like karate and Taekwondo. I think it's fascinating when people spend and dedicate that much time to like perfecting movement. Um, yeah, so that's a that's a tough one for me. I think I, uh, you know, if I had to glue it down, I just, I love learning about this space, um, and I, and I think that's good for me as a self defense instructor because I get an opportunity because I'm so interested in different arts, I explore them, and then I have an opportunity to have like, you know, meaningful conversations with people from different arts and be like, oh yeah, you know, I tried Kali and like, oh yeah, you know, I I did karate when I was younger and I've taken some TKD classes and you can actually meet them where they're at instead of being like, nah man, I'm a I'm a wrestler and Taekwondo is stupid. You know, it's like, nah, man, it's, it's got its elements. So yeah, yeah I, that was a long winded answer to your question. So <laughs> no, you're good, man. You're good. No, I, I, I was feeling it when we first started getting into jujitsu, you know, a lot of people were talking about which one's better. You were kind of hitting on that. And a lot of people would talk shit about Krav Maga. And I was like, man, I don't know. It looks legit to me. Yeah. And I watched like uh, some Netflix show where they go around and they look at all these different fighters and, and they went over to Israel and they were talking oh, yeah, to that yeah. guy there. And I was like, man, this shit looks rough. I tried it out in San Diego, and I was like, yeah. "Oh, yeah. so I was like, all right, everyone that makes fun of this shit needs to go try out a couple of classes." Because <laughs> I'm like, "Yeah, sure, yeah. like uh, maybe my jujitsu would work on these guys," but I knew, like, right after a couple of classes, that even if it did, I was going to take a ton of damage before I got wherever I was going to get. Yeah. I was like, "Yeah, that shit's legit." Like, I think you try them all; all of them are legit. I don't, you know, like you can yeah. take something from all of them. Yeah, I usually explain it uh, this way. Like, there's two elements to it. First off, like, and, and I'm sure y'all know this, like, in the jiu-jitsu world, like, there's so many freaking jiu-jitsu gyms now. Yeah. They're not created equal, right? So, like, even just saying jiu-jitsu is the best art, but, like, you know, even here in Columbus, like, we've got a 10th Planet gym in Newark. That's going to be a completely different experience than if you go to, uh, you know, like, we've got Vitor Oliveira in, uh, down here in Grandview. If you go to one of his gi classes... That's going to be completely different than if you come and mess around with, you know, Mike Cheney, my coach, who's got like a wrestling background and likes cradles and also has a judo background and things like that. It's like it really is going to come down to the the instructor in the community. 
And that's what's really going to determine anything. So, like, are there terrible Krav Maga gyms? Absolutely. <laughs> uh, are there terrible BJJ gyms? Absolutely. Um, so a lot of that experience is individual-based. Um, so that's one part of it. And then the other part of it that I explain it with, now, we're talking self-defense specifically. If you're interested in the art of jiu-jitsu, go do jiu-jitsu. You're not, Krav Maga people are not good at competition fighting at all. I can tell you that. Um, but if you're, if you are talking the self-defense element of it, I think one of the big things you got to look at is just like, what's the context of your self-defense? Like if you're only going to have one hour a week to train, uh, and you know, let's say you're a 140 pound female with two kids and no one else to protect them. And you literally only have one hour a week to put into training, but you're going to get a hell of a lot more out of a Krav Maga class. That's going to teach you to just be aggressive and violent and hit things and break things and build you up from that aspect than trying to learn jujitsu one hour a week. Yeah. It's, it's not going to pay off. It's going to take you years before you're even semi-effective. You know what I mean? So it's like context really matters too. And, and that's, it's, there's no right or wrong answer. And I think that's what pisses people off when they have this, the martial arts argument is like, well, what's the right answer? And it's like, it's not, it's, it's going to be different for you. It's going to be different for me. If you're in the middle of uh you know, like I joke around with Eli, like Eli was in Paducah, Kentucky. Like what the hell is in Paducah, Kentucky? <laughs> but yet you have Eli Knight, who is, you know, one of the top YouTube jujitsu guys, an insanely talented instructor and, and has a, a lot of uh, like education, even in the self-defense realm things in the middle of Paducah, Kentucky. But most of those like tiny little towns it's like at that case, like if you got an old guy that did Navy boxing and that's the only dude you can train with, then go, you know, freaking learn Navy boxing for God's sakes. It's better than not doing anything. So context really matters uh, when it comes to like, what are you trying to get out of it? What do you have access to? What's your background? Um, that stuff matters, you know? Yeah, you, you were doing the, um, the common internet comments about knife defense and stuff like that. And one thing that stuck out to oh, me yeah, a yeah. lot was people were like, Oh, I wouldn't have to worry about getting stabbed because I'll just run away. And one thing that you mentioned that I thought was brilliant was, yeah, but what what are your physical capabilities of running away from someone? Like some people are out of shape. They can't run fast. They they have injuries that will prevent them from running. So still understanding how you could do this oh, yeah. is is a big thing. So what like with you mentioned you were a strength and conditioning coach, like what how important to you is being in somewhat of decent shape when it comes to self-defense or like jujitsu and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, in, in my opinion, again, from self-defense. So like, we'll, we'll take that angle first. Cause it is like, there is carryover, but self-defense is just different. Like if you're on the mats in jujitsu, you showed up there voluntarily, you're not going to run away. <laughs> so like, you don't need to have a fast 400 to be a jujitsu competitor. Um, but from a self-defense perspective, you should be able to do that. Um, so in my opinion, like if somebody comes to me and they have no, no training experience, uh, you know, they're 40 pounds overweight, their diet is trash, they're super stressed out, they don't sleep, they don't take care of themselves, no, no training is going to fix that element. No technique set, no curriculum is going to fix that element of it. So their first thing is physical fitness. Like the, it, it is the foundation of protecting yourself and protecting your loved ones. You know what I mean? Like the best thing that somebody that's overweight can do is lose 30 pounds. And not only from the perspective of like, you know, like, you know, weight loss and all that type stuff, but like a a 30 pound difference, a healthy 30 pound difference, right? So like somebody who needs to lose 30 pounds, if you lose 30 pounds, you're going to increase your energy. You're creating a whole different mindset. So your body's going to start changing. That's going to help you positively from an energy standpoint, from an ability standpoint, but it's also going to increase you emotionally and psychologically and put you in a better place because all of a sudden you're looking in the mirror going like shit like I'm a different human and I did this right so now we're building confidence right and in those same regards like if you need to run away from a situation physical fitness is you running away there's no like your jiu-jitsu loves to talk about like distance management and range well like one of those ranges is sprint you know what I mean like run really far really fast uh, you know, well, that requires physical fitness. It requires physical ability. Um, I don't like, let's say, you know, active shooter situation and you need to drag shit and shove it in front of a door to maybe make it harder for somebody to access you. That requires physical fitness. Like your X guard isn't going to help you move <laughs> a 200 pound, you know, bookshelf. You know what I mean? Um, so physical fitness, in my opinion, 
uh, it should be the first pillar. Now, if you want to use, if you want to double down and you want to use some type of martial arts training as part of your physical fitness plan, then yeah, then you're killing two birds with one stone and that's fantastic. Um, I do believe there should be some strength elements to that, especially if you have kids, like younger kids, because there's an element of being able to not only muscle around an opponent, but also to be able to evade or move and maybe have to carry a kid, right? Or like if we're in a situation and, you know, again, like I traveled around the country a lot and taught a bunch of courses for civilians on active shooters as well. And like, if I'm out with my wife and my wife gets shot and like, you know, one of the, the things we do, so I was one of the chairmen for the Arnold Sports Festival and it's in this huge convention center. So one of the analogies I always gave people is like, if I'm with my wife on this side of the convention center and EMS is on that side of the convention center, that's six and a half blocks. It's one building, but the building takes up six and a half blocks. So if I got to like, am I going to wait for them to do a fast search, make sure everybody's there, get the scene cold and then allow EMS to come in? Or am I going to pick up my wife and get her ass six and a half blocks across the way? Well, that involves strength and, and conditioning and things like that. So to me, it's the foundation of everything. Um, that should be the first pillar, like get your mind right, get your body right. And then from there, you know, you can enter into more direct specific training. Um, physical fitness is also going to keep you from getting injured. Uh, I got a guy right now I'm working with who's um, uh, tall. I don't know exactly how tall he is, but he's a big dude, probably around like 290, 300. Wow. Um, but like, if, if you, yeah, exactly. You gotta, but you got to look at like, if he wants to do, he's, he's a very serious jiu-jitsu competitor. If he wants to do a knee cut pass, his knees have to not only be able to get into full flexion, like to actually get to a position where his tendons and his muscles and everything like that can tolerate that position, but they have to support his potentially 300 pounds while also supporting against the pressure and weight of whoever he's fighting, which is most likely an ultra heavyweight, which is a shit ton of weight. So keeping him from even being able to get into a position, but also protecting his knees requires mobility and stability and movement and all that type of stuff. So if you're going to get good at anything, it's going to be the long game. And from a martial arts perspective, if you want to be round long enough to get your black belt, you have to stay healthy. And a lot of that is going to come down again to strength, conditioning, rehab, you know, being smart about the way you train and things like that. So to me, it's a huge, it's a huge pillar. Um, for a lot of people that can also be difficult though, because if you're going to commit two to three hours a week to jujitsu and you also have a job and a family, it's tough to say, well, I'm also going to commit another two to three hours to physical fitness. So I, I get it. Uh, but in my opinion, for most people, especially in self-defense, like most people need to lose some weight, uh, gain some mobility, get some confidence, get their diet right, get some good sleep. You know, and you get that stuff in and you'll be a lot harder to kill uh, than the stressed out guy that doesn't sleep much but happens to have a blue belt. You know what I mean? <laughs> have, you, uh, have you seen the video of uh, so. Tim Kennedy's sheepdog? Ah, uh, you cut out a little bit. What was that? I said, have you seen the videos of, like, uh, Tim Kennedy's sheepdog training? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That was a big eye-opener. Uh... Yeah, did you go to it? No, no, I watched the video, and uh, oh. the, the part where Tim basically takes them into a wrestling room, and then they fight for their life, you know what I mean? And it was a big eye-opener for a lot of mm -hmm. people. There was people turning blue just from fighting yeah. for a couple minutes against oh, yeah. against the instructors. It was crazy. Well, yeah, and that's one of, one of the best things, like, in my experience, one of the best things you can do for people, if done properly, you got to keep that in mind, too. Like, the cool thing about Sheepdog is if you go to a Sheepdog response training, you paid a couple hundred dollars, you took a weekend. So, like, you want to be there. Most of them are ready for a little discomfort. type thing like that can be a very intimidating experience so like exposing just how terrifying self-defense can be is a there's an art to that but in my opinion it's one of the best things you can do for people to make them realize like guys like fighting is hard um you know i've been in this space for coming up on 15 years and it's still hard for me i mean like again like my last four matches so i had two matches uh last week uh, in a gi tournament up in Toledo, and then I had a super fight last night, and then I had a fight this morning. My last four matches, I got beat. You know what I mean? And it's like, well, this guy's been training for 15 years. It's like, yeah, there's always somebody that's going to make life harder on you. 
Um, so Sheepdog's real good at taking some dudes that, you know, they're, not to say their egos are up there, but they've had probably a, a decent amount of success uh, heading into that space. And then you kind of chop them down a block and you go, hey, man, fighting over a knife is totally different than uh, than uh, fighting into here or, like, fighting in a rule set or having a referee that's going to pull somebody off of you once you tap out. Um, it's a different dynamic, it really is. And there's, there's a lot of growth in that space. We do that with our active shooter program, so... Our active shooter program is five hours. Uh, it's open enrollment, so like anybody can just come off the street and come take it. And when we get to the fight section, it's not techniques. It's like, hey, this person's got a gun. I'm going to let you start with your hands on the gun. And for the next 35 seconds, don't get shot. And then they wrestle and fight over a gun. They've never done this before in their life. And they start realizing, Jeez. like, I know a little bit and I can move Jeez. a little bit, but, man, I don't know enough. Uh, and then we build on that and build on that and build on that. And that's a big eye-opener for a lot of people. And especially going back to that physical fitness element, uh, but then also understanding like angles and changes and stuff like that, and where the martial arts training can come into play. So, um, yeah, man, that'll they'll pucker you up. And Tim Kennedy is really good at making people suffer. Uh, <laughs> he's got a skill set for that. Yeah, I watched some of your videos on that. I liked when you were doing the active shooter training and you had him do like some gross motor takedowns. It wasn't really very, you know, it wasn't too complicated. It was just wrapping up the legs, taking them down. I was like, yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. What did you, this is probably be controversial, but I don't <laughs> think so. What did you think of the, the most recent school shooting where they showed the video and you watch how they stage and they go in the school, you know, in my brain watching that, I was telling Travis, like if first off, if I was a parent that showed up to the school and this is going on for an hour, this is going to be a weird situation because I'm either going to get shot going into the school. Well, I'm like, what's going to happen here? Cause I'm like, if somebody's not going in and I'm there, then I'm going to go in if my kids are there. And I'm right. like, now it's going to be this weird situation. <laughs> but I was like, I watched that video. You know, I watched them come in. The camera was really good the way they got all that video. And I'm just thinking, this is just me, not an expert on any of it. But if you got that much law enforcement with body armor, with weapons, shields, you got one guy. I don't care what's going on. Just go in there and attack the guy. Like, like let's just do it. But I'm not the expert. Yeah, it's uh, man, it's a it's a tough one, and, and I say that from uh, an area of understanding. So there's a lot of elements that come into this. Uh, so I'm gonna let me I'm gonna snapshot a couple <laughs> of them and then go from there. Any anytime, anytime anybody has like anything controversial, right? One of the, in my, in my opinion, this is just my opinion, I'm big on communication and language and stuff like that. It is very easy in the self-defense realm, especially when you're talking about kids being murdered, to let emotion drive conversation. So one of the things that I like to do as much as possible is, for me, engaging in a conversation, strip the emotion out of it. Yeah, the emotion right out of the gate is like, if my kid's in there, I'm going in, I don't give a fuck about any of them, probably more trained than most of the guys that are there anyway. But if we take a step back and I say, look, let's take emotion out of the conversation, which can be difficult to do. Now let's look at a couple of different elements into there. There's a, there's a lot of stuff that goes in there. And it's not like if you, if you sign up for that gig, especially this day and age, we should know that that's something that you're most likely going to run into, or at least there's a high, there's a decent probability you're going to run into it. So your, your mindset should be around that. Um, as humans, we have a tendency, even in that space, to play the whole, well, that'll never happen to me card. Um, we do it definitely as civilians. Uh, and unfortunately, the, the severe lack of training, the severe lack of like support, accountability, and things like that that happen in police departments, I mean, it, it's one of those things you look at it and like, is it right? No. Uh, you know, does most of the people think they should have ran in? Absolutely. Uh, is there, like, do you have to take into consideration, like, what were their thoughts around if they barge through the door and the guy kills more kids? And what were their thoughts around, like, what their leaders and stuff were saying? Like, there's a lot of stuff that goes into those decisions. Um, but one thing that I can tell you is, if, if de again, my opinion, <laughs> if departments were uh, more focused on hard training like good committed hard yes. training and like meeting high standards of physical capability and and emotional capability and constantly running and pressure testing 
uh, in preparing for those things, we would have a lot better response across the board. Um, and, you know, a, there's an element to that, right? Like right now is such a, a, such a fascinating time because you have a, you have a whole movement that's, you know, for the most part against law enforcement. They want to defund them and things along those lines. You have an element that thinks they're too aggressive. Then you have people like me that come from a training background that actually understand that the more training you have, the better decisions you can make and the more likely that you can choose violence, right, versus control than somebody who's not trained. If you're not trained and then your heart rate gets jacked and you don't have another answer to the situation, then the situation either becomes like fight or flight or the situation becomes, well, the only thing I qualify in every single year is my firearm and that's the thing I train with the most, so like I'm gonna get my gun out. So it's, it, there's a, it's not the only answer by any means. Situations like this are super freaking complicated. Um, but if we had strict training, like if they were paid well, trained hard, and vetted from day one, like, you know, you got to put some work in to actually get this job, which right now is very difficult because now you have funding and you have mm -hmm. public opinion and you have all these other type things. It's a double-edged sword because it's like, wait a minute, you mean you want to train these guys how to be killers? And it's like, it's very hard for people to understand that the more you know about violence and putting violence on people, generally speaking, the less violent you yeah. are and or have to be. Um, and that's a really hard dynamic to explain to people. Plus, then you have to look at, uh, you know, then they have to put front money to it. And it's, it's, it's a nightmare. Look, we, we ran into, uh, this is from personal experience, anecdotally, the state of Ohio, so Governor DeWine released uh, like $70 million dollars for a program they called um, First Responder Recruitment, Retention, and Resilience. And it was meant to hit three areas. So recruitment, so getting new people in the door. Uh, retention, obviously keeping law enforcement officers. And then the last one, the resilience piece, was actually like a wellness. It was like a physical and psychological wellness piece. And we qualified for this grant. We were one of the like only self-defense gyms that could qualify for it for a myriad of reasons. One of them being that all of our coaches are certified in... Um, uh, mental health and trauma training so that we can recognize the signs of PTSD and anxiety and depression and then support athletes through that. So we actually qualified to be here. I kid you not, I went to 11 law enforcement departments locally, essentially saying, we can train your entire department or a portion of it for free, paid by the government for 24 months. I'm telling you right now, we qualify for the grant. We will write the grant, like we had grant writers writing the grant. All you have to do is sign off on it and put the application in, and then if it gets approved, we can then do this. Your guys can come to our facility. They'll have full access to it. We have a 10,000-square-foot facility. They can do fitness. They can come to BJJ. Here's the statistics on how BJJ helps law enforcement, all this type shit. Do you know that 10 out of 11 departments pretty much told me to piss That's off? That's crazy. That's Right. And that, and here's the thing. There's, you know, it, it's not a huge amount, but probably 20% of, of law enforcement officers are currently paying out of pocket to go train themselves. And their departments won't even support them in this case for myriad of reasons. And so we did get one department. So we're still waiting to hear back uh, whether our application got approved. But we got one department. And here's the, the kicker. The one department that brought us on. It's an awesome department. And I'm super excited to be able to partner up with them. But they're the, the most well-funded. They already have the highest level of training. Like, they already know yeah, how important this is. Yeah, they understand how important it is, yep. and, Yeah. In my own city, so the city that I am in, right, doesn't have a training facility, doesn't have a full... It's like, okay, you guys can come in there and, hey you guys can have full access to our training facility. So you guys can run trainings there. We'll coordinate schedules. Like we're here, we're local. You're the ones who are allegedly going to come protect my family. I'd prefer it if you guys were in shape and knew what you were doing. You're like one of those things. And that dude, oh my God. Like I, I wanted to. <laughs> it was so frustrating. And so there's this like, you know, we want, I'm not saying that was okay in any way, shape, or form. I'm more saying, like, hey, man, humans are humans, and if you don't, you 
teach them how to do these things. Human error is a thing. Like, we have a, a term, human error, that messes with shit. Uh, and it happens because, as humans, we, we have a tendency to do fight or flight. It's a thing, right? If we don't uh, train through that. But, man, like, if we, if we don't expect more out of them, but then also compensate them more because you expect more out of them. Like you want them to show up and do this incredible, fascinating job, but they're not getting the support they need to make it happen. Uh, and unfortunately, experience to the department, departments, and then sure as shit right now, they're not really getting it external. Puts them in a shit spot. So you have a low barrier of entry. You know what I mean? Like the, the, the PFT quals, especially right now, trying to get people through the door, like they're trying, trying to actively get like anybody they can to get into the police department. Like back in the day, it was like, oh, like I'm going to go be a law enforcement officer. I'm going to go be a peace officer. Like now it's like, you know, unfortunately it's like, you know, hey, oh, well, you know, college didn't go the way I wanted it. So I guess I'll just go to the police academy. It's like, holy shit, how did we get to that? You know what I mean? It's like... <laughs> If we, yeah. if we treated it and trained them properly and, and made it the job that it should be to combat against it, in my experience, I, you know, my opinion, we'd have a lot better actions and we'd be talking less about this. Um, look, man, uh, shootings are tough. Active shootings are tough. Inside of schools are tough. Communication between multiple agencies is tough. Um, human psychology is tough. You know, you know I, I'm not one to... to pass judgment that much, whether for better or for worse. Um, but I, I sure as shit hope that a lot of departments saw that video. Sir, what do you think uh, with the human element, right? Do you think with the schools, at least, they can um, harden those a little better? Because, you know, we go on base every day and I'm thinking, man, I have to drive through like 14 massive flower pots. You know what I mean? Like I have to get through so much before I even get to where I work. I was like, I kind of wish they would do that around the schools. Yeah, there's, um, you know, and again, and this is in my experience, what I've, what I've uh, like researched in this and then dealt with in it. You have a couple of elements that go into uh, like hardening up schools and stuff like that. Like one element of it's going to be what's the budget for the school because uh, doing it properly can become problematic. And in smaller areas, that's going to be tough. Um, another area that comes into like, okay, now we're battling this. Uh, this dichotomy between securing our schools, but also making the kids feel secure, right? Like school is supposed to be a place where you're supposed to go and you're supposed to learn and you're supposed to feel free and you're supposed to feel safe. But the constant element of having to go through checkpoints and stuff like that can mess with that on the backside of it. Um, I don't, I don't know the answer to that. I don't think anybody has a clean answer on it. Um, I think in a perfect world, there's a really good mix of protocols of like, how people get in through the door, securing up certain spots appropriately. I, I completely agree with that. Um, but, you know, one of the things that sucks is it's harder and harder, you know, at least in my experience with this, and I think you guys would agree, it's harder and harder for anybody to make clear, like, simple decisions anymore because everybody's so worried about what everyone else thinks about the decisions they're making. Um yeah. And so even if like, let's say you had a really good superintendent, um, you know, in, in charge of a program and they're like, we're going to make this happen. You know, all of a sudden it's like, well, we got to go past the school board and, and run that by the board. And then the board's always worried about, well, what is the, the you know, public going to think about this? And then nine times out of 10, like 90 percent of people probably agree with the decision but the 10% of people that don't agree with it are going to be the loudest ones. And so even though the majority is like, yeah, whatever, that's fine. Make it happen. We don't really care. You know, we have jobs and everything else going on. Our kids are fine, uh, whatever. The loudest people are generally on both ends. So then you have a bunch of crazy people on this side and crazy people on this side fighting when the, the majority of us in the middle are like, you know, I just watched a video on Instagram and I'm going to try to figure out how to do this toehold. You know what I mean? Like that's like... <laughs> So, right. so that becomes unfortunate and, and you, know, you can't win. So until people start realizing like you're going to piss somebody off anytime you make decisions, just accept it, um, take in the best possible data you can, make the best possible decision that you can go from there and, you know, do it for the right reasons. Uh, man, that's tough because, well, it shouldn't be tough. 
but it is currently tough because, you know, if I want to get reelected, I've got to do this and I've got to, you know, right. play the numbers game. And it's like, man, if you take two steps back and go like, what are we actually trying to get done here? Then piss a couple people off and, and do the right thing. And then, you know, eventually if it's the right thing, most people should figure that out. So but look, man, again, that's a long, uh, I, especially when it comes to self-defense, active shooters, violence, um, I, all too often, there's a lot of one-line answers, uh, and they're disingenuous. So, like, when people ask, like, things like that, like, what do you think? Should we harden schools? And it's like, well, yeah, but let's talk about the 20 other things that go into this, and then let's have a discussion on it. So just mm-hmm. be ready for the long-winded answers on anything like that. Uh, so, yeah. That could be an uncomfortable situation, right, John? But what's more uncomfortable? Man, I'll tell you what. It's summertime. Crotch discomfort hurting your game. Fear no more. The kings of crotch comfort Manscaped has spent two years designing the most comfortable boxer briefs out there. Sleek, soft, comfortable, and flexible. The brand new Boxers 2.0 from Manscaped. Take your balls to the Royal Ball Throne. <laughs> the global leaders in below-the-waist grooming have the Lawnmower 4.0 trimming so you can wear their Boxers 2.0 for the chilling. <laughs> they even trademarked the jewel pouch. As you know, it's serious. Serious, I think it's time you invest in your family jewels. So let your bulge breathe and get 20% off plus free shipping by using our code ETP20 at manscaped.com. Yes, sir. Beyond ball cleaning, Manscaped is focused on ball ball comfort. With with the new Boxers 2.0, boost confidence everywhere you are, knowing you're wearing the absolute best pack for your sack. The front fly opening gives easy access. Thank God, because sometimes you really got to go. Ain't nobody trying to fumble with that. (laughs) It makes bathroom breaks quick and efficient. Multiple ways for entry and passage for your package. You can even choose from an arrangement of designs and colors and size range from small, 3XL for all my guys out there. From El Jefe to Nighthawk, your boys (laughs) will be in the right hands. (laughs) Jesus Christ. All right, so get 20% off and free shipping with our code ETP20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with our code ETP20 at manscaped.com. Up your crotch game because once the Jesus, once the Boxers 2.0 touch your sack, you'll never go back. Thanks, Manscaped. So on Instagram, we were talking about how uh, this podcast is based around you know white belts and, and how... Uh, the journey uh, when you first started off as a white belt. Uh, what were your white belt days like? Were you spazzy? You kind of mentioned it earlier with uh, you elbowing the crap out of Arthur Ruff. Uh, what what were your white belt days like? Yeah, um, I was definitely, uh, yeah, I mean, I was spazzy. I, I mean, I haven't met too many that aren't, uh, at least initially. Um, but yeah, I was I was definitely spazzy. I, uh, the guy that I learned under originally... Uh, he, he taught some mean stuff like shin to face from side control and like, just, just mean things. Um, so I was, I had a proclivity to that from day one, uh, kind of like moving around in that space. Um, I only ever competed once as a white belt, but we did a lot of, uh, my first, I would say year maybe before I actually joined roughs. Uh, we did a lot of unsupervised, uh, after hours rolling, which I don't, I don't know. I don't know if that was a good thing. Uh, it's like white belts leading white belts and just fighting each other. Uh, I'm sure to, to some degree that it, it paid off in the end as far as like conditioning and toughness, but I don't think we were doing much right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But when I got to, when I started training with rough, Um, I definitely had the conditioning and the strength piece. And what was really interesting was the majority of guys, uh, at roughs when we, when he first moved to Ohio were like, I want to say the smallest guy was probably 195, 200. Um, and at the time I was about a buck 60. So I was a little dude with a bunch of big dudes. Um, and so, uh, that definitely, influenced my game um 
for a long time. Like I, I, I played, I was very comfortable off my back. I never played mount cause it was like completely worthless for me to ever get into mount cause people would just bench press me off. And, um, so I like a lot of, a lot of like collar stuff, a lot of skirt things, like ways that my little tiny self could manipulate around. Um, so I would say that that impacted me until just about purple belt. And then at that time I was rolling with Justin Kennedy and he was like, uh, Hey man, like get on top. And I was like, Oh, okay. Like that's a solid plan. Like I should probably start doing that whole top position thing. Um, so yeah, man, I went all days were, uh, getting smashed by a lot of big guys. Um, a lot of after hours, unsupervised rolling and, uh, uh, but man, I'll tell you what, I could cardio tap anybody. Like we do submission only like 20, <laughs> 25 minute rounds. I cardio tap anybody, man. Back in the day I was, uh, I was like 22, 23 and very, very athletic. So, uh, what, how long did it take you to get your blue belt? Oof. Um, that's a good question. Uh, started BJJ 2008, um, started at roughs, I think in like 2009 and then, I had opened up my gym, the gym that I'm at now. So two years, I would say, um, if I'm remembering correctly. And then, and then I was the, um, I was the internet meme because it was like three months after I got my blue belt that I disappeared and really didn't committedly train <laughs> BJJ for. I mean, we were still we were we were still rolling and things like that, but I I, I think I left roughs and then it was pr- most likely. I mean, holy hell! So that would have been 2010. So before I was under somebody who could actually advise me, honestly, probably like six years, because it would have been when Justin and Mike came to my uh, came to Endeavor, um, and I was still rolling, like I was still fighting, I was still doing you know Thai boxing and a little bit of MMA and doing Krav Maga. And, I had really dove deep into stand-up wrestling in like 2012, 13, um, like Greco style stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, there was a gap, like there's a five or a six year blue belt gap before I started getting back into it. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I was the meme. Yeah. John, John's kind of living that life right now for sure. He just came back from a major injury, so don't feel so bad. Yeah. He had, he had a, he's, he's a cyborg now. He has a bionic shoulders, so. Just shoulder work. I've had both shoulders done. The last one about six months ago. Yeah, just a little shoulder work. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's hard to get back into it, though. It's like when you, you deal with something like that, and it takes a while. So we'll see. Yeah. Right now, I'm only like once or twice a week. That's about it. So what what do you think uh, white belts can do to, like, progress faster in jujitsu? Do you think, like, competitions, YouTube videos, sparring more? Like, what would you cue as like the number one thing for people to get better faster yeah i would say um if 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 i went back and like could tell myself like hey do a b c and d um uh you know i would focus like a lot more individually so like a guard pass and get really good at it like uh, side control, whatever position or submission and get really good at it. Uh, you know, like literally like very singular focused and a lot of high repetition, um, to like essentially build a foundation to then branch off of, um, you know, most, at least in my experience, most jujitsu gyms, you know, it's, you learn something today and then the next day, or maybe three days later, you're learning something else. And then two or three days later, you're learning something else. And depending on the the curriculum or the facility, like there may or may not be continuity between them. Um, and that, that's definitely how at least the first, you know, three years of my jujitsu journey was. Um, and it, it would have, I feel like I would have benefited a lot more with somebody being like, do this thing about a thousand times and then learn the next thing. Um, so that's, uh, and it's one of the things I appreciate about, uh, Mike Cheney, you know, again, my black belt, my coach, uh, he does a monthly focus. So like the entire month we focus on whether it's a certain position or, uh, you know, a certain concept or a certain, so it's, there's a, there's this month long journey of actually understanding and deep diving through some things. And it's not to say that every class is the same, but there's a constant continuity, like leading up to, uh, we had a, 
uh, competition last week in Toledo, which is a gi comp. So everything was establishing breaking grips and common, you know, uh, uh, positions of escape the whole month. And so it's like grip position, establishing position, understanding control, drill, 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 and then working out of like common, uh, uh, shitty spots, you know, primarily for white and blue belts. Um, but it's just like, it gives you that repetition and that practice. I thought that was fascinating. I, I hadn't been to a, uh, I hadn't been under a coach that had done that. Um, and he does that a lot. Uh, so, and then Justin Kennedy, the guy that, that, uh, was with us for a bit too. He, he now runs Jits 56, but, uh, um, he was the same way. Like I remember the first time I was introduced to leg locks, uh, we did ankle lock August and we had a, we had literally had a, uh, a whiteboard and you'd put your name and every time you hit an ankle lock in training in a round, you would tally it up. And at the end of the month, like we tallied up who had the most ankle. Lock. Oh, nice. And I got, <laughs> that's cool. I got so good at ankle locks because we spent the entire month learning about them, understanding positions, getting into them, escaping them, and then attacking them. Like there was an incentive to actually do it. Um, so I've, I've had the most success every time I've had a singular focus. Um, I trained double legs nonstop for like seven straight weeks. And those tournaments were my best wrestling. I would smash double legs from like almost any position. It's cause it's all I did for, for seven weeks. So yeah, singular focus, that would be the one that I would, that I would go to. And that can be very tough as a white belt because there's like so much to learn about jujitsu. It's like a thousand, yeah. You know, yeah. 10 million things you could learn. Uh, so it can be really tough to be like, Oh, let me just focus on this one thing. Uh, however, if you do, I mean, look at some of the best, you know what I mean? Like, you know, even Gordon, like Gordon, you know, say what you want. You can like the guy or not. He's incredible. And he understands everything, but like, he's got a pathway. He's got things he does and he falls back on consistently. You know what I mean? You look at some of the, the people that are known for specific positions and techniques and it's like, cause they spent time in there. Um, so yeah, that would be my biggest suggestion, man. It's like a hyper focus, singular focus, master stuff. And then from there, then you can start building off and going, you know, I want to explore that. I want to go explore that. So, so that kind of ties into what would your one piece of advice be for a white belt? Would you would you rec- ask or recommend something else for like a brand new white belt starting on day one? Would you recommend something different for that person? Uh, yeah, man, have fun. <laughs> like have fun and breathe. Um, it's a long, it's a long suffering, amazing and terrible journey to black belt. Uh, so like the sooner you can, you know, just be in it, uh, have a little bit of fun and focus on your breath. Uh, you know, to me, that's the most important part. People learn better when they breathe better. They learn better when they're having fun. I mean, that's scientifically proven top to bottom play, even as adults is the, the hands down the best way to learn. Um, so, you know, if you can, you know, your first three or four weeks, you know, your first month going into that, if, if you just like come onto the mats, all right, man, I'm going to, I'm going to focus on my breath, you know, make sure I don't start panicking. I'm going to ask questions. I'm going to have some fun. I'm going to be playful. I'm going to be real loose and just put yourself into a position where you you're enjoying the experience instead of having an expectation about what you're supposed to get out of the experience. Man, I think if people can latch onto that day one, uh, they'll go places, they'll go far because that's then when you have the bad days or like, again, like, you know, a lot of people have, and I've seen it, I, you know, I saw it shit. I saw it in Toledo, uh, last week. Like you see guys, you know, in my division that, you know, they get tapped out and you can just tell it's going to ruin their week. You know what I mean? And it's like, man, you're that yeah. tight. You're, you know, you're that tied to one thing that happened to you. And, in, in what's, I mean, at Brown belt, you gotta be, I don't know, maybe at, at least, even if you're really good and really fast, you gotta be at least, I don't know, eight years in 10 years in. Um, and you're going to let like one, you know, ankle lock ruin your week. You know what I mean? Like if you can early on get into like, all right, like this is going to be fun. I'm going to go out. I'm going to push myself. I'm going to learn something. Uh, I'm going to get my ass kicked sometimes I'm going to kick ass sometimes. And that's the journey for the next, you know, whatever, 15 years to black belt. Uh, I, that to me would be the biggest asset. I think a lot of people come into it with an expectation, like, all right, like I got to win. And that goes back kind of to that ego you were talking about, about, you know, Tim Kennedy's video and how he really can knock people down a peg. A lot of dudes walk onto the mat, uh, thinking they can fight and then the day one they realize like oh shit i don't know anything about fighting and it's like woof, that's an eye opener so <laughs> you know if you can come in day one and just be like i don't know anything and i'm not gonna know anything for a while 
And I'm just going to focus on breathing and smiling. If you can do that, I think you'll go places, you know, in my, in my opinion. Hey, well, Aaron, thank you so much for coming on the show today, man. This was a blast. Uh, unfortunately, we had a little bit of technical difficulties during it, and hopefully I can edit them out and uh, make me not sound like a man-child. Uh, but thank you so much for coming on. John, you got anything else? No, man. Thank you a lot. Hey, if people want to follow you and look up your knife defense and all your self-defense stuff and uh, see what all you're about, where can they find you at? Yeah, uh, primarily I, I float on Instagram. Um, so you're going to find me at Janetti Aaron. So at Janetti Aaron, my, my last name, then my back. Uh, there's two N's, two T's in Janetti. So J-A-N-N-E-T-T-I-A-A-R-O-N. Um, that's where you'll find the majority of my stuff. Uh, and then knife control concepts uh, on Instagram as well. So like those are the two primary ones. Uh, if anybody's in Ohio, Central Ohio, they want to stop in. We love drop-ins. Um, you know, our doors are always open to anybody, and you know, especially in the jiu-jitsu journey. Um, you can find us at Endeavor Defense and Fitness is the facility, um, or on Instagram you can find us at Endeavor DCF, like dog, cat, fish. Um, but that's where you're going to float and find most of my stuff. I got websites and things like that, but they can find all that through Instagram. Cool. And mention the podcast, and you'll get a. I don't know. The high five. No. (laughs) (laughs) So, hey, Aaron, thank you so much for coming on again, man. (laughs) Yeah. Dude, hey, man, it was my pleasure. Uh, Thanks for dealing with the technical difficulties. Uh, Not not too shabby for outside of a coffee house in, I don't even know where the hell I'm at, New York, Ohio. (laughs) With it raining and both your phones thinking that you're crying into it. Like, I don't don't understand. So, all right, Eric. Well, thanks everyone for listening at home. Make sure you guys follow us on Instagram, Elbows Tight everywhere, Elbows Tight Pod on Instagram. Check us out on YouTube, Elbows Tight. And uh, remember, no oil checks here. Loose. All right, guys. Thanks.